you have your Bibles, we're going to look, we're going to open up to Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to start out in verses 9 through 19. So after this week, Lord willing, we're going to get back to our normal routine of being in the Psalms and in John. The last several weeks, we've looked at um, messages primarily focusing on um, the family. Uh, last week, we, we looked at a, a message on uh, church discipline and just talked about what Christ is doing in the church as far as Him building the church and, and how all that works. And, and so there's been uh, several occasions throughout these messages, whether we're talking about the family or whether we're talking about what Christ is doing among His people, been several uh, occasions for us to be you know, convicted about some things, to be uh, made aware of some things or reminded of some areas, maybe even have some things in our lives that we are uh, that were exposed and maybe we're seeing them different than than uh, than how we were previous. Um, really, another way of saying all of that is maybe some areas of needed growth that you didn't notice or weren't aware of have been um, brought to your attention. Now, if that hasn't been the case over the last I don't know, a month or so. If you are um, if you are born of the Spirit of God and you spend much time in the Word, that's going to be the case. We realize as we are washed with the water of the Word by Jesus Christ, we realize there are areas where growth is needed. And so um, we, um, over the last uh, couple of weeks, we've gone to fight of faith and we've gone to salt and light here the last few days. Um, a lot of the focus in those conferences have been on growth, and in my messages particularly have been on growth, whether that's in specific areas or just growth in general. And this morning I want to kind of hone in on just one of the very important foundational elements of growth that may fly under your radar that you may not realize is as necessary and as, as, as important as it actually is. And so let's start reading in Hebrews chapter 6. And we're reading 10 verses here, so 9 through 19. We talked about Hebrews 6 last week in the discussion. This is the warning passage in Hebrews. And, and so Paul gives this warning. And then right after that, we have verse 9. It says, but beloved... We are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God more willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath 
that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which endureth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So this morning I want to talk about and look at, biblically, the importance of hope in the Christian life. The importance of hope in the Christian life. When we think about growth, we know growth um, requires all kinds of different things. Uh, conviction is something that uh, really stirs or spurs on growth. The way that we handle conviction is going gonna, is gonna to determine that. Um, we realize that repentance plays a part. Uh, we realize that renewal of our mind plays a part. But brothers and sisters, as I've, through the years, met with people and talked with people, and uh, even in my own heart, my own life, tried to work through growth and change, I don't know that there's a more underrated element in Scripture than hope when it comes to growth. A lot of times people put the uh, uh, the focus on, the uh, emphasis on how hard they can work and how disciplined they can be. And, and those things are fine in and of themselves if we understand them appropriately. Peter says we ought to give all diligence. Paul says we ought to discipline ourselves. But all of that effort and all of that discipline has to be informed by and has to be built upon a foundation that's strong enough to withstand the difficulties and the challenges that come as we try to move forward in growing and in walking with the Lord. And so the first question we want to ask this morning is, what is hope? Whenever we talk about hope, what is hope? What are we, what are we talking about? You've probably heard the definition, hope is the... Uh, the confident expectation of that which is good. And that's true. There's nothing wrong with that definition. It's not a very functional definition, but just on paper, that works. Hope is that which informs our expectations. It informs our expectations. You know, one thing about every single human being is that we are actively interpreting life every minute that we're awake. Do you know that? You're interpreting situations. You're interpreting maybe the tone of my voice this morning. You're, maybe you're wondering why did Lewis pick hope instead of something else? Maybe you're thinking, um, uh, I don't know what the big deal was about the song service. I didn't get much out of it. Brother Aaron certainly did. I'm not thinking that, but you may be. We're interpreting things. We're interpreting things. Well, hope is probably the most important element in how we interpret things, how we interpret reality. Hope is, is the, the most important element as far as our expectations. And we talk about expectations before. But probably the most important factor, the, most, the, the, the strongest factor in the way that you respond to life are the expectations that you bring into your life. Right. The way that 
what's, what's probably the strongest determining element in how you respond to other people is your expectations of other people or how you respond to disappointment. If So, for instance, if your expectations are that everyone is supposed to act in a way that is consistent with how you think they should act, then when someone's a little different, it will throw you off course. But if you've lived life long enough to realize that different people act different ways and it's not always an a, person, a personal offense to you, then you'll, you'll know how to, uh, to handle that in a way that's not sinful, in a way that's not um, destructive to a relationship. So, number one, hope is that which informs our expectations. One of the biggest problems we have is that we have preset expectations that have absolutely nothing to do with what God has revealed in Scripture. Many of them are contrary to what God has revealed in Scripture. We'll talk in a minute why that's so important. Also, just going off of that definition, and the definition is a is a literal definition of the word. If you put the two, uh, uh, if you put the meaning together, as far as hope goes, a confident expectation of that which is good. So it's that which informs our expectations. Number two. It's that which fuels our confidence. It's that which fuels our confidence. Now, when we're talking about confidence, we're not talking about self-esteem, but really confidence translates over functionally into endurance. It's that which allows us to continue to move forward when things are difficult. Like Sister Rachel said, the song has a has the I Love Jesus. It has a... Um, it has a chorus that, that gives itself over to a children's song. It's very uh, repetitive. It's, it's easy to uh, lay hold of. But, but the meaning there and the, and the verses that precede that chorus are full of adult experiences of trials and difficulties and discouragements. And it's that love of Jesus that gives us endurance and confidence to move forward continue to seek Him and seek to please Him. And then third, and this is the last description here as far as what is hope. This comes right out of the passage here in Hebrews. Not only does it inform our expectations, not only does it fuel our confidence, but hope is really what anchors our soul. Hope is the anchor of our soul. Now think about the contrast to that in Ephesians 4 when it talks about being uh, carried about by every wind of doctrine. That is a contrast. Those two are connected uh, as far as the, what they mean. So if it's doctrine that would carry our souls or would carry us about, then what is it that might anchor us? Well, every wind of doctrine is just another way of saying just being unstable, not knowing the truth, letting um, what's false just sway you and influence you and carry you about. What's going to anchor your soul is the truth of Jesus Christ. That's the hope that you have. That's what's going to anchor your soul, not just the truth of what he has done and and uh, uh, what he has accomplished, but also the truth of what he is doing. And what He has given you. And so hope informs your expectations. It's going to fuel your confidence. It's going to anchor your soul. 
Another way of saying this, if we were to just kind of give a street-level definition of hope, is that hope is your functional belief system. Hope is your functional belief system. What I mean by functional, well, I'm going to contrast that with abstract. So we might say, you know, we our articles of faith, we believe in God's sovereignty. We believe that Scripture is the inspired Word of God. We believe that... Um, um, that um, Christ is actively at work in us and and for us and all those kinds of things. That's in the abstract. That's just what we know from Scripture as far as this is the what these are the facts. But a functional theology is what you live off of. A functional theology is, yeah, God is sovereign. And since he is sovereign, then God is my refuge. I will run to him in times of trouble. A functional belief system says, yes, I believe that the Word of God is inspired, and so I want to go to the Word. I want to know the Word. I want to use the Word in my day-to-day life. I'm not going to trade it out for worldly wisdom whenever I'm in need of making an important decision or anything else like that. I want to be built up by the Word. So functional really is what you act upon. And that's what hope is. It's our functional belief system. You'll notice, look in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You notice how faith and hope are inseparable. Faith and hope go together. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Um, And so here's... Here's the point as I, as I go here as far as a functional belief system and hope being tied to faith. Our hope is built on something. Okay? And we could go even further and say, we'll just kind of bring it in and try to clarify it. Our hope is built on information. And that information comes from somewhere and again, we're talking functionally. This is not, uh, you know, a, a, multi, a multiple choice A, B, or C where it's just a cognitive thing. What are your expectations built on? What are you, what is your confidence built on? What is your soul anchored in? You know, many times people's hopes are just simply built on their, what their feelings or their wishes, their desires. They're so flaky. They're just all over the place. And flaky hopes lead to a flaky life. The point that I want to make here is that hope is built on faith and faith is informed by facts and those facts are found in Scripture. And so when we're talking about hope and we're talking about what it means to build uh, build your hope or or what it means for us to live in hope, 
then we're talking about something that is directly connected to Scripture. The information that we that that uh, makes up our functional belief system is information that is given by what Brother Reggie talked about this morning, a God who cannot lie. Right? He's given us exceeding great and precious promises. And so the importance of hope in the Christian life or in the Christian walk is necessary because whatever you're hoping in and whatever is informing your hope is going to have a direct connection to the way you grow, or I could say a direct connection to your lack of growth. We're going to talk about this more in the in the message, but just to give you a practical example of this, do you know there are some people who believe that there are just some sins that are too strong for them to repent of and to be free of? Maybe you're one of them this morning. Sometimes we, we struggle with sin and we all struggle with different sin and different sins and different intensities, but there are times where we can struggle with sin in such an intense way that we think, you know, my only deliverance of this sin, of not being enslaved to this sin, of not being um, uh, uh, dominated by this sin will be death because I just can't do anything about it. It's just too strong for me. You know, that kind of mindset is the product of an ill-informed hope. You know what Romans 6 says? You're dead to sin. You don't have to yield your members to sin. You can choose to yield your members to righteousness. That doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's not a battle. It doesn't mean it's not a fight. What it does mean is that if your hope is built upon the clear teaching of Scripture, you will never live life as if that which is in the world is stronger than the faith that is in you. Because that's not true. And so hope, I'll give you three things about hope this morning. Number one, hope is based upon what you know. We just said that, but let's go to Ephesians chapter one to look at that a little further. Hope is based upon what you know. It's based upon what you know. Which means this means your life in Christ will never exceed your knowledge of Christ. You know, a lot of times we, we I say a lot of times, we, we live in a world, we live in a culture that is just shallow as far as biblical understandings go. Uh, people adopt the mindset that, you know, I don't want to worry about doctrine. I don't want to get so tied up in doctrine. Doctrine divides. I just want to love Jesus. Well, the truth is, your love for Jesus will never exceed your knowledge of Jesus. There's no such thing as ignorant love. Love is informed by something. And either you're seeking to love Christ because you know how Christ has called you to love Him, or you've created a figment of your imagination that you've named Jesus, and you're loving Him the way that it... You know, the way that makes sense to you. Okay. God says, my ways are way above your ways. And so, 
we want to start with this foundation. Hope is based upon what you know. Ephesians chapter 1, the first 14 verses of Ephesians 1, you know this already, uh, is it, it just lays out the spiritual blessings that we've received in Jesus Christ, uh, really as it relates to redemption. Paul starts out by saying, uh, by blessing God in verse 3, because it's in Christ that He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. By the way, that verse 3 is a statement that should inform our hope. Okay, that's one building block. You've received How many spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ? All. If you have Jesus Christ, you have everything. Okay, that's a building block for your, for your hope. Then he goes and, and, and begins to, uh, uh, lay that out and articulate different facets of it. And so you've been chosen. You've been predestinated. You've been adopted. You've, um, You've you've been redeemed. He's abounded toward you with wisdom and prudence, and he's made you know the mystery of his will. And uh, you've obtained an inheritance. And um, he just lays one by one by one. You've been sealed with the Spirit. And then he gets in verse fifteen, and he says this: Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Okay, this is this is Paul's prayer. His prayer is that God the Father might give us, might give those who um, come to Him, who are believing in Him, might give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Now that's a big prayer. Really what what I'm getting after is that middle section the prayer is that their eyes of their understanding might be enlightened. That the Lord would give you eyes to see. That He would give you spiritual illumination and enlightenment. For what reason? You notice the next word is that. The word that means for this purpose. Okay, That the eyes of your understanding might be opened for this purpose that you might know what is the hope of His calling. Now the funny thing about this is that Paul spends the first 14 verses telling them what the hope of their calling is. But then he turns around and says, I'm praying that you might know that hope. What does that mean? Paul's saying, I'm praying that you might know this on a functional level, not just an abstract level. So, you've been given all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Don't go put that in a museum somewhere to stare at and say, yeah, I know about it. No, Paul says you take that and you hide that truth in your heart and you live off of that truth. You allow that truth to anchor your soul. I've been redeemed. I've been adopted. I've been given uh, wisdom and I've been sealed with the Spirit. I've been bought out of the slave market of sin. I've been forgiven. Paul says, my prayer is that you'd be able to take all of those things 
and that you would know in an experiential way, this is not just a head knowledge, that you would know Let me get the right phrase here. Uh, what is the hope of your calling? The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So what is the hope of their calling? Well, the next couple of verses, I mean, we talked about how he's laying it out in the first part, but the next couple of verses, Paul lets us know what he's zeroing in on here. Verse 19 he says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Paul says part of the hope that I want you to know, part of what I want you to understand that would inform that hope is the exceeding greatness of his power that's at work in you. Did you know that if you've been indwelt by the Spirit of God, then the power of God is actively at work in you right now? Do you know that's a reality? And so what Brother Robert said this morning in prayer as far as us being dependent on Jesus Christ and, and us not walking in self-sufficiency and, and, and trying to do all these things in our own strength, you know, you don't have to. The truth is you can't. But the other truth is you can because the power of God is at work in you. So sometimes we get a defeatist attitude whenever it comes to the Christian life and we think, you know, we preach these hard sermons and they're good for conviction to get our, our uh, attention for a minute or two or maybe an hour or two, but the truth is we kind of let those things die down because I can't really do anything with those. Well, that's a faithless response to the Word of God because the reality is You've been given power. You've been given the, 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 the might of God and it is at work in you right now. Now, if, you may know where I'm going, but if you don't, the next question might be, well, what kind of power? So he's given me some, he's, he's given me strength. He's given me, his, his power is at work. How do I know it's strong enough? Well, verse 20 which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And I'm going to stop there. What kind of power is at work in every Christian that's born of the Spirit? What kind of power? The, the exact same power that raised Christ from the grave. Do you believe that? It's incredible, isn't it? The exact same power that raised Christ from the dead, that set Him at the right hand of the Father, far above principalities, that's just powers, far above any power, earthly power, spiritual power, And so if hope is based upon what we know, just this one little slice of information changes everything for the Christian that lives a defeated life, for a Christian who thinks that I can't overcome, that I can't grow, that I will always be enslaved to this or to that. No, that's not true. And it's not because you're so strong in and of yourself. It's because you've been given the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And that power is at work in you. 
right now. First Peter chapter one, verse three tells us that we have been brought to a place. We've been begotten. We've been born unto a living hope. What does that mean? Well, it means that we've been brought into a living relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ and all that belongs to Him belongs to us. That's true of every Christian. Now, sometimes we think about it this way, that we've been brought into a living relationship with Jesus Christ and all that belongs to Him belongs to us later. You know, that's not true. Now, we'll experience more of it later. But right here, right now, you are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You've been given an inheritance that's uncorruptible and incorruptible and undefiled. And it is waiting in heaven for you as far as the fullness. But you realize you're drawing on that inheritance every day. What what Christ has given you through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the word and through the exceeding precious promises. That's part of the inheritance that you're receiving from him. You've been born, the part of salvation, a big part of salvation that you've received is that hope in Christ. And so here's an implication of that. If we are not intentionally looking daily to Christ, then we will not be walking in hope. Now that's difficult, isn't it? A lot of distractions, a lot of things that buy for our attention, a lot of things that get our attention, and honestly, a lot of things that we willfully give our attention over to that distract us from the hope that's found in looking to Christ. So hope's never going to come through constantly focusing on ourselves. Hope's never going to come through constantly focusing on outward circumstances. The only way that hope will be fueled, and again, what are we talking about? Our functional belief system. If we live as defeated Christians, the reality is we are too hyper-focused on ourselves and outward circumstances. Whenever Whenever we trudge through life thinking that all is ill and things will never get any better for me, we are focused on self and outward circumstances. There's a level of self-focus that has to happen if we're going to grow. We need to realize what's going on in our hearts. We need to be repenting, and that takes a little bit of self-focus. But as far as a Christian who's walking with the Lord and who is steadily growing, we're not hyper-focused on us. You know what you're going to find if you're hyper-focused on yourself? Disappointment, sin, inconsistency. You know what you're going to find if you're hyper-focused on your outward circumstances? Disappointment, sin, inconsistency. And so we have to, this seems like it's a, a common sense kind of thing, but you know as well as I do, we have to realign our hearts on a daily basis to look to and focus on Jesus Christ who is our hope. We have to remind ourselves when we're in the throes of the battle with sin that I am dead to this. And I can choose right now through the power of Christ to yield my members to righteousness rather than sin. This is a daily thing. It's not a once and for all declaration. And it's something that we must be active in. So hope is based upon what you know. 
If you're not in Scripture, you will not be living by hope or walking by hope. Secondly, hope fuels your endurance. Hope fuels your endurance. Now, endurance is that which keeps us from just throwing in the towel. You know, the Christian life is hard. It's an uphill battle. And if we don't have endurance, we will not make it. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul's intro to the letter. I just want, I want to start in verse two. <clears throat> he says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Now in verse three, you'll notice there are three, um, there are three combinations here. He talks about their work of faith. He talks about their labor of love. And then he talks about their patience of hope. Now, it could also be translated this way. Work that is produced by faith. Labor that is produced by love. And hope that is produced, I'm sorry, endurance, uh, patience that is produced by Hope. So the word patience there is also the word that's translated endurance in the New Testament. Those are the same words. Uh, patience, long suffering is another way that's translated. Enduring. Okay, you're in it for the long haul. You're suffering long. You're not throwing in the towel. And Paul says, this is right before verse four when he says, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. So he's, he's naming these um, he's naming these, these, this fruit that he sees in the, in the lives of the Thessalonians, saying, I remember these things about you. And one of the things that he remembers is their endurance that was fueled by their hope. Well, if you've been a Christian very long, you understand how important endurance is. The Christian life is a marathon. It is not a sprint. It's a long marathon that's full of ups and downs, victories and defeats, encouragements and discouragements. And if we do not have endurance, we won't make it. There are times where the Lord blesses us with extended seasons of victory over sin, victory over discouragements. Things are going well and we feel like that we are able to... Um, embrace the realities of what we've been given in Christ. But, but then there are those Psalm 13 seasons of life where it feels like God is so far away. It feels like He's turned His back on us. It feels like we uh, try everything in the book and we don't get a glimpse of His presence. We need endurance. What do you do? And we've talked about this in the Psalms. What do you do when you find yourself in a season of life where the presence of God is hidden? 
Well, you keep looking for it. You keep seeking to draw nigh to Him. You keep trying to draw near to God, knowing that God will draw near to you in His good time. But we need endurance if we're going to make it. So let me give you three categories where this endurance is necessary. Number one, hope in the midst of sorrow. Hope in the midst of sorrow. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know this passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning with, uh, them which are asleep or them which are dead, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So this is a passage where Paul is speaking directly to the topic of loss, dead loved ones, those whom we, uh, you know, we bury because they die. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. In other words, if we were to put that in the positive, he would say, I want you to know some things so that you do not sorrow as those who have no hope. Now, it's a normal thing whenever we lose loved ones to, to, to be sad, to experience grief. Paul's not saying, I want you to know some things so that you're never, ever sad. Paul's saying, I want you to know some things so that you know how to endure the sorrow that accompanies loss. You know, there are some people that go through seasons of loss and they never recover. It just swallows them up. Paul says, I don't want you to do that. And here's how that works. I want you to sorrow, to grieve as those who have hope. So what does he do? Well, then he begins to give to inform that hope. Yes, you've lost your loved one. It's going to be difficult. The days, the coming days, really, are uh, particularly in the in the in the uh, uh, in the near future, are going to be sad and long and heavy. But you need to know this: there's coming a day where you will see your loved one in Christ again. He is going to return. And when He does return, those who are in the grave will be called out and those who remain will be called up into the air with Him. And we will uh, be forever with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You see the hope there. And you see it every time we have a funeral. Particularly whenever we have a funeral and, and we bury one that we know, we have confidence, was walking with the Lord. It's a joyous occasion. Is it, is it peppered with, with grief and sorrow? Of course it is. But a fu the funeral of a believer is always an occasion that is fueled by hope. He's absent from the body or she's absent from the body, but she's present with the Lord. 
we will we will um, meet them again when Christ comes back. So again, this is not to erase grief. It's to infuse hope in the midst of grief. He does the same thing. Uh, uh, the Holy Spirit does the same thing in Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, I'm not going to turn there, but in that passage, you know, Jeremiah is just listing off. I'm the man who has has been afflicted and he's listing off all these difficulties and he gets to verse 17, 16, 17, and he says, I've gotten to the place where I've just lost hope. And then it all turns around when he says, but I recall this to mind and therefore I have hope. Is it, it is of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed. They are new every day. Great is thy faithfulness. This is hope in the midst of affliction and it's hope in God's character. You remember I said earlier that it is so important that you know what uh, Scripture says about Christ if you're going to love Him or uh, this example would be if you're going to hope in Him. You know, the easiest, most natural thing for us to do and this is just baseline. I don't care who you are. This is the way we're bent. If we're not careful, when we're in the midst of affliction, we'll let our afflictions determine what we believe about God instead of letting God determine what we believe about our afflictions. Hope says, I'm not going to begin to accuse God based on my circumstances and based on my feelings. What I'm going to do is look to the character of God that's revealed in Scripture to try to understand what He's doing right now and what I can embrace in the midst of this affliction. Jeremiah says in Lamentations chapter 3, the Lord is my portion. You know, one of the things that God was doing with Jeremiah, and you remember this maybe as we were talking about His judgment in um, Habakkuk and Lamentations and Daniel, one of the things He was doing was he was weaning Israel from the pleasures and treasures of the world that had become these idolatrous lusts in their hearts that they had been completely given over to. And he was bringing them to the place to where they could see, again, what Robert said this morning, that Christ is enough and He is better than anything this world could ever offer. David says, it was good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that I was afflicted. Why? Because it drove David into the Word. And it drove David closer to the Lord. So, hope in the midst of sorrow. Hope in the midst of sorrow. Secondly, hope in the midst of trials. So sometimes we're going through trials and, and it's not necessarily a sorrowful experience the way we would think about as far as losing a loved one or um, the afflictions that Jeremiah was referring to. Sometimes these trials can can drive us to, or we can respond to these trials with bitterness. We can respond to these trials really in hopelessness. But Romans chapter 5 lays a framework that we should understand. Look in Romans chapter 5. Starting in verse 1, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Okay, that's an important verse for you to understand when you're going through trials, because one of the things that Satan is going to, uh, one of the darts that Satan is going to shoot at you in the beginning is God must be upset with you right now. God must be punishing you right now. Okay, no. If I'm justified by Christ, I'm at peace with God right now. That's got to inform my hope. This trial is not a way that God is separating Himself from me. If it's chastisement, it's a way that He's bringing me closer to Him. Okay, So I'm at peace. Verse 2, by whom we also have access by faith in this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And so we get this familiar progression in verses 3 and 4. Paul says we're glorying in these tribulations. Are they difficult? Yes. But we're going to glory in these things because we realize they have value. They have worth. Now when Paul says to to glory in these things, glory just means weight. These things are valuable. They're weighty. Why? Well, because tribulation produces patience or endurance, what we talked about earlier. And patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope makes not a shame. What's he talking about here? Well, if we were to just start from the beginning and go directly to the end, this is what he's saying. These tribulations are working for you in real time. A solid confidence that you can put your hope in Christ unabashedly because you're going to find that He's faithful when you go through trial after trial after trial after trial. You see the progression. uh, Tribulation works endurance, the ability to go all the way through. We've talked about this before, but the more trials that you go through, if you're walking through those with Christ the more confidence you have at the outset that He's going to be with you as you walk through. Is it going to be hard? Yes. Is it going to destroy you and swallow you up? No. Do you know everything that Christ is doing? No. Do you know that He's doing something? Yes. So He says, we glory in these because it works endurance. Endurance experience so that you're not having a meltdown every time you go through these things. Now, you may the first few, but after a while you realize, I've been through this before. I've been through these kinds of things. Christ has been faithful through these kinds of things. And then you get to the point to where you're not even shaken off of the platform of where you're going to turn when these trials hit. You already know. The difficulties are here. Well, I've learned endurance and I've learned experience and I've got hope and I'm turning to Christ without shame. I'm looking to Him. My confidence is not in the arm of man. My confidence is not in some external deliverer. My confidence is in Jesus Christ. And that's because through time and experience, the Holy Spirit has developed hope 
which drives me to Him in a way that I would never have been driven otherwise. Hope in the midst of trials. Are they difficult? Yes. Are they valuable? Yes. And you learn that through hope. Third, hope in the midst of temptation. Hope in the midst of temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Now there's several things here that are important for us to know as far as uh, hope is concerned. The first thing, Paul here, when he's talking about temptation, he's talking about those things that are drawing your heart away. He's talking about you being drawn to sin. And we all know that there are times where sin uh, is so powerful, the drawing influence of sin is so powerful that it seems as if we can't resist it. But that's just not the case. As a matter of fact, there are times where the drawing power of temptation and sin is so powerful that we think there's no one on the planet that could possibly understand what I'm going through right now. And so Paul in this passage says four things that we need to know. Number one, there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. What does that mean? That means there's no such thing as a unique temptation. There's no such thing as a temptation that you're facing that no one else on the planet has ever faced. Now, that's even a little bit of an extreme way of saying it. That's a little bit of an inaccurate way of saying it if we say it that way. There's no such thing as a temptation that you're facing that people around you are not commonly facing. That's what the passage means. It means that what you're facing, we're all facing. Now, it may come in a different package and it may have its different nuances, but at the root of what it is, we face the same kind of things. We're, we're drawn away by the same kinds of things. And so number one, the temptations that we face, we're not basing this off of how we feel, we're basing this off of what Scripture says, right? The temptations that we face... They're common to man. God's been delivering His people from the very beginning from the very things that we face today. Okay. Those who came before us and those who come after us will struggle with the same things. Number two, that's not just enough as far as leveling the playing field. Not only are we wrestling with common temptations, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. So you might think to yourself, well, okay, it's a, it's a, it's a enslaving sin for me. You've told me that it's a common sin and that uh, this is something that people uh, struggle with and have always struggled with, but they must have been way stronger than me because this thing overcomes me every time. And the answer to that is no. No, they weren't way stronger than you. The same God who was faithful to them is the same God who will be faithful to you. 
The same God who will not let them be tempted above that which they were able is the same God who won't let you be tempted above that which you are able. Now, this doesn't mean that temptation becomes easy. It just means that temptation is not enslaving. It means that um, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. First John 4. It means that your faith can and has overcome the world and you can walk in that. Okay, So the temptations that you face are common. The faithfulness of God and not allowing you to be tempted above that which you are able is in play. Not only that, not only has He not allowed you to be tempted above what you're able to handle through the power of His Spirit, but God is also faithful to provide you a way of escape. So you might think, well, okay, the sin is common, and okay, the Lord has given me the uh, the power uh, to... Uh, to bear up under this, but the truth is, I just don't have the wisdom to know what to do. Not so. God is actively making a way of escape for you. And so what does that mean? Well, it means really what verse 14 emphasizes. It means that, brothers and sisters, you never have to be a slave to idolatry. You can flee from it. That's always an option. You can turn from sin and turn to Christ through the power of the Spirit of the resurrected Christ that's at work in you right now. And if you don't believe that, you will live a life that hopelessly, willfully gives yourself over to sin, thinking you're the victim when you're really the villain. Okay, Hope is important when it comes to temptation. Now lastly, and we're, we're out of time here, we're going to end where we started. We said that when it comes to hope, that it's based upon what we know, so we've got to be in Scripture, that hope is going to fuel endurance because the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and now it's this coming back to this reality that hope will anchor your soul. Hope will anchor your soul. What do we mean when we say that? Well, it's back in Hebrews chapter 6. We've read it, and I'm not going to read it for time's sake again. But what we mean is this, is that if we embrace God's Word by faith, that is the only thing that will anchor your soul in the storms of life. The truth is you're going to lose loved ones if you live long enough. You can't avoid that. The truth is you're going to be faced with trials, afflictions, if you live long enough. You can't avoid that. The truth is you're going to be tempted daily, and many of those temptations are going to come on you hard and fast, and you're going to feel like there's nothing you can do about it. You can't control that. That's going to happen. You can't avoid it. But here's what you can control. You can control whether or not you're going to embrace God's Word and whether or not you're going to respond to that and think about that and interpret that scenario in a way that's consistent with what Christ has given you in Scripture or if you're going to be carried about by every wind of doctrine, tossed to and fro. If you'll let it, 
hope will anchor your soul. And you will be steadfast in the throes of the storms of life. And so may God bless us to embrace His Word, His promises by hope as we seek to live a life that honors Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for, uh, for hope. Lord, it's, uh, it's, it's, Your Word contains a lot of things. Uh, the ugliness of sin. Um, the, uh, uh, the rebellious heart of man. But Lord, splashed on every page of Scripture, we find hope. The hope of a God who intervenes. The hope of a God who provides. The hope of a God who is saved and redeemed and adopted and, and who's sanctifying and caring for His children. And so, Father, I pray that we would believe what You've said over and above how we feel. And Father, I pray that You would bless us to diligently be in Your Word, that our souls might be anchored in the storms of life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.